this guy uh, right here. I don't know if you've ever been there before. Just uh, maybe you were going to show off or you're going to try something or a new trick or maybe you were going to show somebody your uh, financial portfolio and uh, something went terribly wrong. And all that energy that where you were supposed to get all this accolades and you're supposed to get all this value from other people uh, turned into that. And the reason we all cheered, and uh, I, it's, okay, it's okay that you cheered, I was just kidding around, it is um, because there's something in all of us that feels like this is justice, doesn't it? Like, doesn't it feel like, yeah, that's right, you want to show off and go stand up on your motorcycle and do your bike went into the pool, ha ha. Because what happens is when, when, when we show off or, or, you know, if I were to try to show off something up here, what I'd be expecting is that we would engage in a transaction, that I would do something awesome and I can't do anything awesome, so I don't really have anything. But if I did, then you would applaud or you would think really highly of me or think I'm awesome. And then the transaction would have taken place and everyone would go their merry way. And, and that's why sometimes when we're driving along and we'll watch somebody on, a, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes I'll drive along and there'll be some guy on the street doing like a wheelie on the street. And there's a sick part of me that says, I not only do not want to engage in this transaction, I would like to watch you fall. You know, and so it's very sick. I'm a very uh, evil man. But my point is that this is the thing. When 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 we kind of show off or do our stuff, we're, we're expecting that you will think a certain way or feel a certain way about us, and that we would engage in this transaction. You would get the joy of watching me perform. I would get the the payment of having you think wonderful thoughts about me. When I was nine years old, we lived in um, New Jersey. And uh, uh, we lived in, in what is now a very, very wealthy community. Um, when we lived there, it was just somewhat wealthy uh, before my parents lost everything. Um, but uh, I, I put, put it up here. This is kind of a shot of where we lived. You can see the different houses here. Um, this was uh, our house right here. And uh, so the houses were spread out. We were in the woods. And this road that you see going up to my house was a private road. It wasn't paved. It was just um, gravel. And uh, I had the joy of growing up until I was 11, basically living in the woods in kind of a, a upper uh, class neighborhood. And um, so that was really cool. And But the thing is, on a private road, this ended in a dead end. We would never get anybody driving by our house unless you lived there. And so, you, and you would never get anyone walking on the street because it was kind of secluded. You can see these other streets, they're, they're, they're out of the way. We were, we were up in what New Jersey calls a mountain, what we would call just a big hill. Um, and, and so uh, one day I was on my bike riding around our driveway, went off the road uh, here and it circled around like that. Uh, if that makes any sense, uh, kind of goes around like that. And so I was over here and I heard some people walking up the road over here, which never happens. And so I got this thought in my mind, I'm on my bike, and I was really good bike rider at nine, so I thought, I'm going to go up here to the neighbor's, this is the neighbor's driveway, and it was on a big hill, and so my neighbor's driveway was on a big hill, and it came down here, it hit the road, and then it hit my driveway, which went down, and then all the way around and back up again, 
And so I was up here while they started walking around. And right at the perfect time, timed it perfectly, I got on my bike and I started pedaling as fast as I could down that hill. And when I hit the street level, I turned to them and I went, Batman! <laughs> and like, you know, they stopped and it was just like, oh, it, I can't even tell you how marvelous it felt. It was, oh, I can almost feel it now. It was just fantastic. Uh, and so it was right about here uh, that I yelled Batman. And um, it was as I went across the street, and it was right about here that I realized I didn't have an exit strategy. <laughs> because I was going to hit our gravel driveway uh, going downhill. And so um, I think they call it stick the landing. I didn't stick the landing. And my tire went into the gravel, and then my, it started doing one of these. If anyone skates or uh, rides bikes or motorcycle or whatever, if you've hit the sand or mountain biking or whatever. And so right now, I was more like Robin instead of Batman. And then I, was, I, I hit this tree, and I was mostly like the Joker. Or uh, as we talked about in our small group, uh, someone pointed out, I ended up becoming Two-Face, which is the guy. Because my face hit this tree, uh, which now has uh, probably still a little bit of my DNA there. Um, but, uh, and it like, like half, like perfectly half, halfway. And so it just, I wouldn't say it, it, it didn't shear off my face, um, although that's what it felt like, but, but it, it basically just scraped my, my forehead and, and cheek and everything, just kind of scraped it. And uh, you know, I went down in a mess and, um, and, you know, the people were just like, oh, that was weird, you know, they kind of, <laughs> off, off they go. And, uh, and so I did this little walk of shame from like the tree to, to into my house right there. Um, and I was trying to explain to my mom because she, I said, I hit a tree and my mom understands that trees don't move. So it was kind of on me that why, why would you hit this tree? And I was trying to explain to her that um, I was Batman and um, it, it didn't really go it really didn't go that well for me. Um, here's the thing. Uh, if you were my mom, uh, and well, God bless her, because this was just one of many stories of my youth, but um, to try to explain to me at nine why that was a bad idea, and, 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 and to try to explain to me that um, there's no such thing as Batman, first of all, um, would have been difficult, because in my mind... In my little nine-year-old mind, this had the potential to be one of the greatest things humanity had ever seen. That somebody like myself, as accomplished a bike rider as I was, would time it perfectly, would stare them in the eye as I went across and yelled Batman, stuck the landing, and then went off into the distance to who knows where fight crime or whatever. Like you couldn't explain to me in my nine-year-old brain that that was really stupid. 
And now at 47, that has no value to me. Like no, well, okay, okay. <laughs> Not necessarily uh, no, no value. Um, but, but I realize that it shouldn't have any value at this point in my life, right? The other thing I realize now at 47 is that had I really performed the Batman stunt as it was designed and I went past and I yelled Batman and I stuck the landing and I went off into the sunset, the people walking probably wouldn't have cared at all and would have said, that was the strangest kid I've ever seen in my life. Let's get out of this woodsy, creepy place and you'll go back. This must be a private road filled with creepy people. And, and so, so, but in my mind, that, that, that couldn't possibly, they couldn't possibly think I was weird. That was the greatest thing you've ever seen. How, how would you? And, and so and here's the other thing. I was willing to sacrifice my body to get the accolades that probably never would have happened in the first place. I was willing to implant DNA into another living structure, right? Because I thought the payoff was going to be so great. Now, here's the thing. This is, this is the thing that Jesus is trying to get in the Sermon on the Mount. He's trying to explain to us. He's trying to plead with us. Why are you trying to get value out of things that have no value? Why, why are you doing this? And so, so what Jesus comes along, uh, and we've talked about this every week, Jesus' first statement is something kind of daunting. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst. And that sounds like Jesus is angry and, and has something in his hand that might hurt us. And it's just like, repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst. But when you look at that Greek word, repent, it just means change, change the way you're thinking, change your mind. And so we've taken repent for the kingdom of God is in your midst and we've restored structured it this way. Change the way you've been thinking. A life with intimacy and interaction with God is now in your midst. You, you don't have to do that anymore. It's funny when you're nine and, 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 you, and you try to do the Batman stunt that you would sacrifice, you know, part of your face for that. It's, it's not as funny when you sacrifice high school caring about what others think. And it's not as funny sacrificing your 20s trying to be somebody you're not. And it's not as funny when you're sacrificing a career trying to be someone you're not. And Jesus knows this. And so what we've been talking about week after week as we go through this book, Good and Beautiful Life, and as we go through this sermon series, is this, allowing God to be God in everything. Every part of our life, and we've talked about anger, we've talked about lying, we've talked about lust. Um, Bob talked about last week, great sermon. If you weren't here, uh, download it off of our website, a blessing those who curse you, going the extra mile. And, 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 and we've been talking about that. It's like, how do we trade in the things we find so valuable that if we would just give ourselves enough time, we would realize aren't valuable at all. How do we trade those things in? Here's the false narrative for this morning. And this is what culture would have us think. And again, there are some things that culture would have us think that are actually positive. It's not everything about our culture is bad. But if you, as you see this narrative, you'll kind of get, get an idea and you'll be able to look in your own life and see that the false narrative is this, that my value is determined by your assessment. 
that, that, that my value is determined by what other people think about me. And so I will change my behavior or do something or try to be somebody because if you think a certain way about me, that brings me value. That is the false narrative. What, we've been, what we can see is, is this. We, this shows up in our appearance, how we look. You know, some people will wake up in the morning and they will step on a scale and that number will be valuing or devaluing to them because they know that reflects on their appearance. That's a false narrative. Some of us buy the right clothes or don't buy the right clothes to show that we don't need to have the right clothes or whatever. It's just all this play of what other people would think about us in our appearance. And some of us are worried about how our skin looks and we put on makeup or we spend money for different um, augmentations or what have you. I mean, just different things to try to change our appearance because we feel like if we could just look the right way, we'd be more valuable. That is a false narrative. Other thing we look at is production. Are we producing? Are we, what's our 401k look like? What does our wealth look like? What's my career look like? Am I um, um, producing? the right things. For, for some of us who are in uh, high school or what have you, you know, we get this idea that, you know, grades are, are a big deal. And they are. I mean, study, keep studying. Parents are like, what? But, 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 but for, for some, you know, you're in a family where one kid gets A's and one kid gets D's and the A kid is more valuable. And you can just feel it. You know it. A kid is more valuable. Why? Because they're A's. D kid, mm, not so much. Because you're not producing what you should be producing. Performance, you know? How are you on the soccer field, on the baseball team? Are you a starter? Do you have one of the key positions? Are you all, all this kind of stuff? If you do, you, you'll get the acknowledgement. The parents will come over and tell you good game and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and not only, it's weird in our culture, what we do with our kids is if, if we didn't have it when we were kids, we'll take our kids and that'll be, wait, do you see how smart they are, what they can produce, what, what, how well they appear and all that. And so the kids will feel the pressure of their parents going, oh, look, or, or the pressure of their parents going, you're not producing so much, so we're going to leave you over, but your brother or your sister, whew, we're going to show them up there because they're, wow, there's value in our appearance and our production and our performance. That is a false narrative, and this is what Jesus is trying to get us out of. Here's Jesus' narrative, kind of. I, I took his and tweaked it a little bit. Jesus' narrative is this, don't be Batman. Okay, maybe, maybe it should say, don't try to be Batman, because none of us can actually be Batman. He's fictitious, okay? Don't try to be Batman. Don't, don't, don't try to be somebody you're not. Don't, don't try to work up a scheme where if I just do this, they'll think this about me, and then I'll have value finally. So Jesus comes along and he says, change the way you've been thinking. There's the kingdom of heaven is right in your midst. You, you can have a relationship with God in a way where those things don't even matter. You can just ride your bike and enjoy riding your bike. It isn't a, 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 how, how well you do in front of others. You can just go to school and enjoy school. You can just be on the team and enjoy the team. You can just have your body shape and it just be your body shape. You can have your earning power and it's just your earning power. You don't need to be Batman. 
In the Greek, it's just what it all means. Here's what he says, Matthew 6, 1. You know, he's going through the Beatitudes, and he, the, Matthew 6, 1 is kind of the thesis statement of the next part of his sermon, okay? So as we've seen, Jesus is going really from topic to topic because what is he trying to do with the people around him? He's trying to change their thinking, right? And so he has to go through all these different things. You've been thinking this way. The way he does it and the way he was doing it before is he says this, um, you've heard it said, I was used to think, but this is what I say. I, you, you've heard it said this, I say this. And he's just been going through this. Topic after topic. You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. And he gets to this section of his, of his sermon, and, he, and this is his thesis statement. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, I highlighted others, reward, and your father. Because Jesus is ridiculously redundant on these terms. Like it's almost, I don't know if you've ever had someone talk to you about something that they're really passionate about and they keep saying the same thing over and over again and you're just like, I I got it already. Well, this is what Jesus is beginning to do in this section of scripture. He's going to talk about others uh, seven times. He's going to talk about a reward, some type of reward seven times. And he's going to talk about your heavenly father nine times. That, that's what happens. And so I've highlighted these just so that we'll see them as cues as we look through the scripture, okay? And so he says, this thesis statement, be careful not to, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he's setting up this idea that God, okay, almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, could actually reward you, which is kind of I don't know, that sounds promising, right? That God, the almighty God could reward you for something? So that's his thesis statement. Be careful not to practice your righteousness. So he goes through three uh, examples of this. The first thing he says is this. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. And so what what we're going to see as we go through these different things, giving, prayer, and fasting, is that Jesus is talking to a culture that uh, that is similar to ours, but different. So, for example, we're much, much more sophisticated than this culture. We're way smarter, much more progressive. We know stuff they don't even know. You'd never like announce your giving with a trumpet. You'd put it on the back of a chair or something, you know, like you'd get something donated in your name. You wouldn't like have a trumpet go, you know, you'd, you'd like accidentally leave your giving statement out for people to see or something. You, you don't blow a trumpet. That's kind of out of control. And so the hypocrites do that in the synagogues and in the streets, okay? So we don't really do that. We don't, we're not at Walmart you know, we get out of our, you know, we come from here, church, and then we go to Walmart, and we're like, I just gave it church, you know, because you'd get, you know, hauled off, right, and someone would come. We don't do this anymore, but we do other stuff about are giving. We know how to mask it a lot better. We know how to write a Facebook post in such a way that looks humble, but it's really not. 
Like we know how to do that. We're, 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 more, we're more in tune with that kind of stuff. Nonetheless, Jesus is saying, watch out for that. Watch out for that. When you do that and you get that transaction and people go, oh man, that's awesome. You lose your reward from your heavenly father. The transaction's complete. He looks and he says, oh, there's nothing else. There's nothing owed on this. It's paid in full. Here you go. Hope that worked out for you. And then he goes on. He says, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like the idea is just that giving to the needy, it should be so just, you just, it's something you do. And it's like, I don't know what's the big deal. Okay, he goes on. He says, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He looks and he goes, oh man, this is really great what you've done here. Has anyone, has anyone picked up the tab on this? Oh, it's just between you and me. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll take care of this for you. I'll, ta- I'll, 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 I'll make sure you're taken care of. So he goes on. He goes, when you pray. Now again, this is different for us because if I ask somebody right now to stand up and pray, you'd probably just run out screaming because if, if you've ever been in a small group and you're like, would anyone like to pray? Everyone's just like, uh, I don't know habla inglés. I, I like, it's like, you know, because it's uncomfortable. But in this particular setting, it was a big deal and it, and it, and it looked great, you know. And so, so it would, it would kind of puff you up and you, there'd be certain times of the day you'd pray. And if you were seen praying, then they'd know that guy, he, he, he's got it going on. That's really great. Well, again, we do, we do different things like that. It looks different for us. Again, we're more sophisticated. We're smarter than all them. But we know how to mask it a little better. For some of you, maybe, maybe you've left church for a while and you're just making your way back. Maybe for others, this is like the, the first time you've ever made it into a church or whatever. This is the type of stuff that drove you nuts and drove you out of the church to begin with. You'd watch people pray or give or fast or whatever, and you'd see all the big deal everyone would make about this, and the pastor would stand up, and he'd smash his hand on the pulpit, and he'd do all this kind of stuff. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, that guy's a hypocrite. You know where you got that word? From Jesus. Jesus hated it too. It's not, it's not the, you don't have a problem with Jesus. You have a problem with the hypocrites. And Jesus would agree with you. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues and on the streets, cool corners, to be seen by others again. This idea, others. But I tell you, they've re- received their reward in full. But when you pray, when you guys pray, go into your room, close the door to your father who's unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He goes on, he says, and he kind of gives some more things. And don't go babbling like the pagans do. Like, don't just keep repeating the same words over and over again. That, that's the next verse, verse 7. Verse 8 says this. Uh, Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And now, you can kind of already see with these first two examples what, what Jesus is trying to get across. Others don't really matter when it comes to valuing who you are. And their rewards are lame. Like even, even if you did work it out to where others saw you and thought you were awesome with all this kind of stuff, you're, you're selling yourself short. You've received your reward. On the other hand, we have this kingdom of God, your heavenly father, who looks and he's like, don't 
don't sell yourself short. Let's, let's the two of us work this out together. Why do you need to be valued in this way? Let's, let's just forget about them for a while. Let's, let's kind of, almost if you could just picture your Heavenly Father just grabbing you by the shoulder and saying, can we just go talk about this for a little bit? Before you get, you can juggle in front of everyone later, okay? Right now, let's just go talk about that. This is the, the verbiage he uses. And then from here, where he talks about your Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him, this is where we get the Lord's Prayer. He just busts right into the Lord's Prayer. He says, when you pray, pray this way. And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together at the end of the service. So we're going to skip it right now. But one of, your, one of the exercises we have for this week is to look over, that, look over that Lord's Prayer this week a bunch of times. Meditate on it. Look on it and say, what are some of the key things? Jesus is talking about others. And he's talking about reward. And he's talking about my Heavenly Father. What can I learn out of this, out of this, um, this what we call the Lord's Prayer? And so we'll, we'll look at that in a second. But one of the key things is that Jesus is going to use the word others again. And watch how he uses it now. So he, he gives the Lord's Prayer, which ends with basically you forgive others as, they've, uh, as your Heavenly Father has forgiven you. And he says this, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others your sins, your Heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Now, that should kind of let you sit there and go, yikes. <laughs> Good. Meditate on that this week. Think about that. What does that mean? Like, he won't, if I don't forgive them, he's not going to forgive me. I thought I was washed by the blood of the Lamb and Jesus and all this kind of stuff. Excellent. Just keep going going with that this week. Think about that. But look how Jesus uses others. Don't care about what they think about you. Don't let them value you, okay? And don't devalue them. In other words, if they mess up, don't devalue them. See, what feels good about the guy we showed riding his motorcycle into the pool what really feels good to me is I get to value him and say he's an idiot and that makes me feel good. Jesus is saying that is wrong. You don't get your value from other people and don't use your standard to value others. If they mess up, you forgive them. Why? Because your heavenly father is forgiving you and what we'll see in a second is that's where you want to get your value from. So don't put it on others. Don't let others put it on you. This is the whole point of what he's trying to say. And uh, so he says, then he goes into this last one. When you fast, uh, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces. Why? To show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. So you go a whole day without fasting and then somebody says, and you say, yeah, yeah, I just went the whole day without fasting. Your heavenly father's like, oh, you know, hey, you got it. Like, really? You went a whole day without fasting just for that? I mean, without eating? I never want to go a whole day without eating just to have somebody know that it, that was it. I'm too, I'm, I'm too weak. I like to eat. Here's what he says. Well, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others what you are fasting, uh, that you are fasting, but only to your heavenly father who's unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, what, what is this idea of being rewarded by our heavenly father? Because really that's what it's all about because it does feel good to be noticed by others. 
I mean, that's YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. I mean, it, it, that, that's kind of it. You post something, you get likes, and that feels good. And it's, you're like, you know, we're kind of like rats in a cage pressing the button and having the endorphins fire. You know, it's just like we're like in a giant experiment. It does feel good. What, what is the reward God would give us that could possibly, especially if he's unseen, because I can see the person who's telling me I'm awesome. But I can't see God. And so even though God tells me I'm awesome, it's like, well, what, what's the reward? Well, you have to think like a kingdom citizen. Oftentimes, the reward of the kingdom is just the understanding that the reward from this culture is useless. It doesn't work. Really, the reward of our Heavenly Father most of the time is freedom. That, that's mostly what the reward is. Because here's the thing, caring about what others think is exhausting. It is absolutely exhausting. It's a moving target. It changes with different parts of the country. So if you move, you got to redo your whole self to try to be valuable to that particular culture. Uh, some of us have been spending our entire lives trying to make a parent happy. You know, from, from the time we were little kids, our dad or mom said something to us, how we never this or never that or always this and always that. And we have wasted decades trying to get them to say, I love you or I'm proud of you. or I'm and, and here's the thing, they can't. They're too, they're too emotionally jacked up to be able to even do that. And so we waste our whole lives. Some of us are in school right now trying to get a peer group to just accept us. And they're barely even like past lizard brain themselves. <laughs> and, and yet we work and work and work and work. And we want to say the right thing and look the right way and all that. And, and our Heavenly Father, see, I don't think he's standing up there going, let's see what kind of rewards you get. Up, oh, you got a reward from them. You're not getting a reward from me. You know, off with you. He's up there with us, I guess, here, pleading with us, don't sell out. Don't sell out. Don't, don't get your reward from anybody else. Come, come here. Come here. When you get the reward that I have for you, it's so much better. See, my mom, when, when I tried to be Batman, <laughs> okay, and I showed up and half my face was gone, um, after she got back from screaming and running away, um, what would have been her language to me? Well, it serves you right, Batman. <laughs> How's the Batman thing working out for you? <laughs> right, I'm nine. She sits me down takes whatever it was at the Bactine. You remember Bactine? God, sprays that in my eyes uh, and tells me it's going to sting just a little bit. Whatever. Gets me bandaged up, however, however we did it in caveman days, and, 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 and begins the process of going, you know, son, it, you know, you got to start thinking a little, a little down the line a little bit than just that. You know, the, you know, the, what are you doing? Begins to try to get me to think a little farther down the line. Now imagine your heavenly father 
looking at you going, you don't need to dress like that to get attention. Your, your body isn't used for that, to try to get value from people. You don't have to do what they're asking you to do. That, it, listen, in 20 years, you're not going to find any value in that anyway. Why would you waste your teen years, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s going after something that I promise you in a couple decades you're not even going to value at all? You're just going to have the regret. Now that is some kind of reward from our Heavenly Father to give us the freedom to not be caught up in all of that. If we would just begin the process of saying, you know what, I'm not going to get my value from that. Caring about what others think is exhausting. One, one other thing I want to point out is it's impossible to know what somebody else is thinking or what someone else is feeling. And because Now, you think you might. I mean, sometimes, you know, you've been talking to somebody, and they're kind of like looking at you and kind of like, hmm, and you're thinking to yourself, they think I'm an idiot. Yeah, and really, they're just like, I wonder if they still have the $5 footlongs at Subway. You know, you, you have no idea. Maybe this has happened to you where someone comes up to you and says, are you Okay. And you're like, what? Yeah, well, you look angry. Oh, no, I just, you know, I just wondered when the game started. I don't know. I don't know how to set my DVR, so I'm not really angry. I just am confused, you know. Whatever. You can't know what somebody's thinking. You can't know what somebody's feeling. So if we spend a whole bunch of time, our Heavenly Father knows you're wasting your time. And even if you did know, that has no value. That isn't how you get evaluated. See, our worth is based on God's assessment of us. I want to share just a quick story. Um, This story is so, you you can go into uh, Genesis chapter 25 and read it for yourself. Uh, It's a story of Jacob and Esau, and and, and it's so pivotal in our story. If you're a follower of Jesus, or you've kind of come in and you've accepted the church as kind of your community, these stories are very important because they're part of our history. Um, um, Our story as the church of Jesus Christ, if you will, is just a continuation of the story of God's people from the very beginning, Adam and Eve all the way through the people of Israel and all that kind of stuff. And this is one that gets referenced, um, that, that, that gets kind of riffed off of a lot, the story of Jacob and Esau. And essentially, what it is, is that Jacob and Esau were twins. I don't know if you have any brothers or sisters um, that you're always fighting with, or cousins, or whatever that you're competing against. Jacob and Esau, their thing went way, way beyond what you and Derek, or whatever his name is. I mean, it's just like, it, they started out So Esau came out first, and the Bible says he was red and hairy, okay? So congratulations, Esau. That's kind of like, I'm I'm kind of hairy. So I I can relate to Esau a little bit. But Esau, there's a couple... Esau is a play on words for red, and it also can mean complete, like he came out with hair and he's red, he's like already a warrior, you know, that that kind of idea. And so Esau comes out, and Jacob comes out holding on to Esau's ankle, like trying to Bottom, pull him back in. Uh, oh, anyway, so he, they, 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 they come out, and, 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 um, and here's the thing. It, it, it's the perfect dysfunctional family dynamic. Esau comes out. He's hairy. He's manly. And he goes into hunting. And Isaac, his dad, is just like, 
that's what I'm talking about. Chip off the old block. Go hunt me something good. You know, get me some, uh, you know. And so Esau would go out hunting. And, and so he would, it said he smelled like the field, which, like, I don't know, field he's in. Depending on the field, that could be good or bad. But that, that, that was Esau, you know. Hairy, strong, warrior type of dude. Go out, get some food. Me like meat. You know, there you go. Jacob, so, so Esau's kind of like wood shop in high school, okay. Jacob's like Homac, okay? Jacob watches the cooking channel. You know, he's always looking at different things, checking up recipes. And, and just like any dysfunctional family, uh, Isaac loves Esau. The dad loves the manly dude. And Rebecca loves Jacob. So you can imagine growing up how that dynamic worked its way out. The Bible families are no different than our families, okay? So they, 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 were, they were messed up. So Rebecca, the mom, and Jacob come up with this plan that they're going to kind of take Esau by coming out first is like the heir of everything. He gets a double portion of the, um, of the uh, what do you call it? inheritance. Thank you. Yep, I wanted to say retirement. I don't know why. Uh, but uh, a double portion of the inheritance and so, um, and, and he, he becomes basically the man of the household. Well, what happens is he goes out hunting one day and he comes back and maybe he's dragging an antelope. I don't know, but he comes in and Jacob had just seen the cooking channel and was trying this new stew out. And, and there he is. And Esau comes in and he says, I need some of that red stew. I got to have me some of that. So here's what Jacob says to Esau. First, sell me your birthright. Now, I cannot even begin to try to put it in our terms. I, I guess if you have a mom or dad and they're on their way out right now and maybe they have a couple pieces of property and so the kids, you know, love them, but they're also thinking, hey, you know, when that uh, finishes up, we'll all get, you know, kind of a nice thing. But you know that your brother, your older brother is going to get more. And you say to him, hey, um, why, don't you, why don't you give me the house in Palm Springs? Now, the normal response to that would be, are you out of your mind? Like, dude, I'm not giving you the house in Palm Springs. I can watch the cooking channel and get the same stew recipe. I'll just go online. I mean, like, like that would be the thing. But watch what Esau says. He says, look, I'm about to die. What good is my birthright to me if I don't get some of this soup? So Jacob, being the smarter cooking channel kid, says, swear to me first. And he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Jacob gave Esau some bread. He threw, sweetened the deal a little bit. I'll give you some bread too. So, uh, and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and he got up and left. Selling the double portion of his inheritance. Signing the deed off to the Palm Springs house giving it to him for a, for a bowl of stew. And here's what the Bible says. And so Esau despised his birthright. How you think to yourself, who in the world would do that? Like who would, sell, who would like say, yeah, you could have the house in Palm Springs. Just give me some of that Stouffer's or whatever the, 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 the pot pie is. Well, you and I. Like, this is why this comes up as an example all the time. Because we have a God in heaven who says, are you kidding? 
dude, don't sell for that. I've got something way, 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 way better for you. Like, I've got something way better than to have you fit into that group of people. I have something way better than to have some boy think you're pretty. Like, like that, I got something way better than that. If you just, just hold on for a minute. Like, don't you wish somebody came into Esau and just went, dude, hold, wait, stop, stop, stop. Give me a thousand bucks and I'll give you two bowls of stew. You know, it's like, can we, like let's work this out. Well, well, there is somebody doing that. It's your heavenly father. Every time I go to open my mouth to try to show I'm better, or to show maybe I've got this education or I've accomplished this or whatever, it's like Jesus busts through the door and says, wait, before you do that, can we just see what this looks like on paper first? That's what he's saying in this section of scripture. I love the way, as Audra comes back up, I love the way the book uh, that we're going through um, writes this out. It says this. The kingdom narratives oppose the world's narratives. You are valuable to God. God loves you no matter what. Your worth is not dependent on your performance or what others think of you. Will you just hold Let's think about that for a second. Your worth uh, is not dependent on your performance, your GPA, where you rank on the team, your net worth, the car you drive, any of that. Or what others think of you. Your worth is found in the loving eyes of God. If you win, God loves you. If you lose, God loves you. If you fast and pray and give your money to the poor, God loves you. If you're a sinful and selfish, God loves you. He is a covenant God and his love never changes. You are valuable, precious. You are valuable and precious. And some of you this morning need to hear this. You are valuable and precious and worth dying for just as you are. 